Welcome to the Pilot Podcast, where we watch the pilot episodes of TV shows to answer your question, should I watch this? My name is BJ. And my name is Me Too. And this week, we're checking out The Great on Hulu, I Know This Much Is True on HBO, White Lines on Netflix, and Into the Night on Netflix. So stay tuned to the end to find out when BJ's planning his Ibiza trip. Oh, I already went. To Ibiza? It was a great time. I even... Nope, I can't tell you about it. You had to have been there. (laughs) (laughs) But let's start with the place that neither of us have been, and that is the aristocratic era of Russia. On The Great on Hulu, the miniseries is actually a satirical, fictional look at the drama around the rise of Catherine the Great. This is coming from the minds behind the favorite. Catherine the Great, played by Elle Fanning, is the longest reigning female ruler in Russia's history, but on her way to get there is where we start. In this first episode, we see her pull up, meet Peter, marry him, and quickly realize that he is trash and gets help from her lady-in-waiting, Marielle, played by Phoebe Fox, to take matters into her own hands. And Peter is played by Nicholas Holt. What did you think of how they incorporated the historical elements of Catherine the Great, such as her passion for learning, wanting to bring in lots of modern Western ideas? And as we see throughout this first episode, she starts to consider leading Russia instead of just being the submissive wife. As a Catherine the Great scholar, and by that I mean I read her Wikipedia page before we recorded this, it looks like she survived marriage to Peter for 17 years before she was able to successfully overthrow him in a coup. And so I'm excited to see how the show handles that because obviously it's difficult to portray 17 years for a miniseries. And then they're taking, like you said, bits and pieces of her history and her personality, but running it through this satirical filter. And it's fun. I like it. It feels almost like Dickinson, the Apple TV show that we reviewed a while ago. That one is almost like an extreme because they really lean into teen lingo in their portrayal of Emily Dickinson. But in this one, they stay kind of close to it. But where they diverge is where the fun is. They add in the nice lighthearted element and the comedy helps you get through some of the traumatic and darker parts of Catherine's marriage. Yes. So how about we dive into that by looking at some of the relationships Catherine is developing. And the major one is with Peter III of Russia, the emperor, who, like you said, she rolled up and got married the same day, all so her father could get a lot of money. And she herself was thrilled about this marriage per the early life section of Wikipedia on Catherine the Great, (laughs) which is represented fairly quickly in the show. She doesn't have a great home life. She was excited for this new life with Peter and hyped him up in her head to be this romantic guy, this exciting, intelligent ruler. She herself is very intelligent. She was hoping to meet her match. And instead, she was met with a prankster, an imbecile, and a cold guy. All that said, Nicholas Holt is so funny as Peter III, and you can't help but laugh at his antics. He's hilarious. He's wild. He's unpredictable. He has a weird obsession with his mother. And all of that just makes for this great back and forth where you really see how opposite Catherine and Peter are. Catherine has this poetic dreamlike vision in her head of what the world can be and what relationships should be. And Peter is just like, I want sex, alcohol, and fun. (laughs) In that order. 
How do you feel about the closer to intellectual equals she has in Marielle and Olive? So I love her relationship with Marielle. She's definitely her equal. She can't read, unfortunately, but she still has intelligence and wit. And she is above just simply trying on hats and throwing balls on the lawn with the other ladies of the court. That was a funny scene. All of the ladies of the court, so the wives of the powerful men, entertained themselves by throwing dyed balls on grass. But she wants more than that. And I like that Catherine has someone that she can have a real conversation with. That's important for maintaining your sanity. And Olive, I think it's going to be a nice, fun, intellectual counter to her that she has someone else who's also reading a lot of the same books that she can share that passion with. I wonder if, because there were rumors about Catherine the Great and some of her advisors per Wikipedia. Tell me about them. Well, couldn't tell you names because I don't remember them. But I wonder if there is a chemistry brewing between Olive and Catherine. Elle Fanning and Sasha Dewan, who plays Olive, had such a good chemistry, even in those quick scenes that we saw of them together. Interesting. I just saw a friendship, but I do predict Catherine cheating on her husband. I do 100% see her cheating on her husband, just with anyone who can hold a conversation. And then two, that chemistry could be for friendship. I just mean a sign that there is opportunity for a deeper connection between those two people. Yes, definitely instant spark. And then the last relationship that we see throughout this whole episode is Peter's general, who's leading this war that was started by the archbishop. We already know he's attracted to Catherine, but they seem to have a genuine conversation at one point. Where do you see that going and what do you think of their interactions and his intentions? Those intentions feel spicy. Catherine the Great, per Wikipedia and on this show, comes from aristocracy. So she's very intelligent, but she lacks an understanding of the real world. She speaks pretty naively, for example, about the soldiers whom she sees outside of the gates of the palace. And so maybe the general will be helpful in her grounding her views to help build up that real world knowledge that she'll need to successfully overthrow her husband. He will probably remain her general when she comes into power. And that relationship will be synergistic where they get along. He has skills, she has skills, and I guess they can take over new lands. So will you take over your couch to watch more episodes of Hulu's The Great? I will, but casually. I'll work my way through this series. And as our regular listeners know, I don't really like comedies, but this show had the perfect mix of funny moments and serious moments. And I just like Elle Fanning's portrayal of Catherine. So it's all a good mix that I want more of. How do you feel? Fully agreed. This was a fun, dark comedy. And a special shout out to Phoebe Fox as Marielle. Everyone's performances were great, but I want to watch more episodes of Her Shining. We only saw a little bit of her in this first one. In those scenes, she was so good. So funny. So how about we drop the comedy and just stick with the dark elements as we go to I Know This Much Is True on HBO. So this is actually an adaptation of a 1998 novel of the same title by Wally Lamb. This was in Oprah's Book Club. So very popular. And this whole series is about twins. Dominic and Thomas Birdsey are New Year's babies. One of them was born on December 31st and the other January 1st. And so they became very popular in the news in their town. And they're growing up with their mother, Susie, and 
and their stepfather, Ray. And Dominic has always had to be the responsible one looking after his brother who has schizophrenia. So we fast forward to their adult life and we're now taking a look at how Dominic is dealing with having gone through a divorce, having to take care of his brother whose condition is worsening, and also interacting with people like his mother and his stepfather. So Mitu, what were your first impressions of this series? Dominic and Thomas on the show are played by Mark Ruffalo. Yes, that is a key point. (laughs) (laughs) So my first impression is that I was impressed by his performance. Often when you have an actor play two roles, it is simply for you to give them an opportunity to shine or for a director to show off and show that they can seamlessly do this because it's a difficult thing to do that you don't necessarily have to do. With that said, Mark Ruffalo is great and it made the relationship between Dominic and Thomas compelling. What really helps is the makeup and costume design team and Mark Ruffalo himself put in the time to differentiate Dominic and Thomas. So even though they are identical twins, you don't see them as like the same person. Speaking of Thomas and Dominic and Dominic and his parents, how did you feel about that dynamic? It feels like Dominic, since his childhood, has had to be the adult for every single human being around him. When I think about Dominic and Thomas, I just feel bad for him because Dominic clearly loves his brother and understands the struggles that Thomas is going through and that Thomas is trying to get through things. Another point that comes up in this episode is that their mother has a terminal case of cancer. So that's very stressful for everyone. And Thomas isn't able to cope and process like everyone else in the family. And that just puts more stress on Dominic. So I can't really say more than I just feel bad for the guy. And we learned that his stepfather, Ray, was maybe not abusive. I'm not sure what they're trying to hint at with the flashbacks, but very tough on them when they were growing up. And definitely verbally abusive to Thomas at the very least. Yes. And then we get to, in the world of keeping things real sad, real down, because this show is just sad. It's well acted, but it is remarkably sad. So on this sad journey, we get to Dominic's relationships with Dessa, his ex-wife, played by Catherine Hahn, and Nedra, played by Juliette Lewis, whom he hires to translate his grandfather's manuscript from Italian to English. So that would be kind of a last gift to his mother who can't read Italian so she can read her father's life story before she passes. Let's start with Dessa. We don't see as much of her in this episode. We find out that he used to be married and we see Dessa come visit Thomas because Thomas goes through some things in this episode. So she still cares, but it's sad because we see Dominic still might have feelings for her, but she's clearly moved on, new business, new boyfriend, and she's trying to make her own life while Dominic might be stuck in the past. I think she still holds affection for him too, though, based on a scene where he displays some affection toward her and she has a lot of difficulty tearing herself away. There's some complicated feelings there. And then we have Nedra, completely different situation where she is immediately smitten with Dominic when he comes to ask for the translation and she throws herself at him very, very forward. (laughs) There was a little bit of lightness in that scene in that Juliette Lewis played it so wild that it was almost fun to see someone really just 
go there and then go past there. She shows up to his house. She's drunk. She's hitting on him. She gets mad when he doesn't want to engage with her. And so she accuses him of harassment. It's real wild, real fun to see her get to let loose. And then she drives away drunk and we never see her again. Speaking of predictions for the show of will we see Nedra again after that very dangerous decision of hers? Don't drink and drive. Do you see Dominic being able to find peace? Right now, it feels like he's sacrificing his happy for a lot of the people around him. And he doesn't necessarily have to sacrifice his happy in order to be there for others. The way this episode goes, it doesn't seem like there's a clear path for Dominic to find that peace and happiness. And with Thomas's condition seemingly getting worse and more complicated, and his stepfather Ray really using a hands-off approach with Thomas, I think we're going to see a lot more stress and trauma that he'll have to go through before he really does say, I have to step away from my loved ones to love myself, if he can even do that. So do you want to watch more episodes of HBO's I Know This Much Is True? Not right now. Can I use that as a rating? Yes, because I think I'm right there with you. This show is just overwhelmingly sad at every turn. We're not going to go into spoilers, but especially the last few scenes between Dominic and Thomas, it makes you sad, upset, frustrated, just all of these dark emotions. It was a lot. If you like a very dramatic movie or very dramatic show, if you want to see Mark Ruffalo play two people very, very well, then I would recommend this show to you. I just think for me, and it sounds like for you as well, BJ. It was just a lot. It's an emotional ride that is done beautifully by Mark Ruffalo, and we recommend saving it for a time when you want to go through an emotional ride. Which is a thing. Mm -hmm. People have go-to sad cry movies. You know what else people do when they are going through emotional rides? What? Cocaine. Beach, I think I know where you're going with this. Are you talking about White Lines on Netflix? I am, me too. How about you tell us about it? In White Lines, we follow Zoe, played by Laura Haddock, who, with the Spanish cops, discovers her brother Axel, played by Tom Reese Harry's corpse, on land belonging to that of a wealthy, powerful Spanish family. That family is led by Andrew Califat, played by Pedro Casablanc. And we learn that Axel had disappeared 20 years earlier and was part of an Ibiza DJ collective that also includes David, played by Lawrence Fox, Marcus, played by Daniel Mays, and Anna, played by Angela Griffin. In this first episode, we follow Zoe, who leaves her comfort in Manchester to try to discover for herself what happened to her brother. We learn right off the bat that Zoe feels like her brother abandoned her when she was younger to try and become a successful DJ in Ibiza. And now she's learned that he didn't abandon her. He was murdered and she wants answers. She wants closure. She wants to solve the mystery. And we also find out that her brother leaving and she thinking that it was abandonment really messed with her psyche. So do you think that she's on a path to find the answer for closure? Or do you think this is just more of her brain spiraling? Her husband says when she tells him that she wants to go to Ibiza, he says, what did we spend all those years working on stability for? And there's a moment where she's processing what's happening 
while in Ibiza that she says, all of those years that I worked on my abandonment issues, it wasn't abandonment. And it's almost like she is rationalizing her regression. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what she is regressing to because we don't know what she was like prior to reaching this place of quote unquote stability. So with that said, I think she is doing this to find out what happened to Axel. It sounds like they were very close and he was a very good brother to her. But she is also doing this because of her obsession and this regression, whatever it is that she is regressing to. She could just let the Spanish police handle it, but no, she's going to do it on her own. The issue with the Spanish police, though, is that there's a 20-year statute of limitations on murder, is what they told her. So they can't investigate it if the corpse that they found turns out to be dead for longer than 20 years. So all you have to do is bury a body in a desert for 20 years in Spain, and you're good to go. Don't love you thinking like that. So (laughs) if we're taking things over to the island of Ibiza and the Caliphate family, we see that Oriol, played by Juan Diego Boto, wants to do anything in his power to get a casino to the island because it is his mom, Conchita, played by Belen Lopez's dream. This was a very interesting plot point, and it ties in not only with Axel because the body was found on their property, but because the Caliphate family, and Oriel specifically, runs a lot of nightclubs that DJs perform at, and Axel used to perform at one of these clubs. And I'm not really sure why going from the nightclub business into the casino business is such a big transition, but they are putting in a lot of time and effort to impress investors, local and foreign. And they're even getting the priests to bless the land. So this will be a successful casino. So they're just taking all the precautions they can. Oriel even gathers the DJs to pledge to not bring drugs into their clubs so that when police inspectors come to investigate the island for the casino, they will not arrest everyone. It would be bad for business. It was so funny to hear people speak so openly about drugs. I'm not sure if that scene was intentionally funny of them being like, well, what are we supposed to do without being able to sell cocaine to our club attendees? Hey, I am sure that is a large chunk of their income. Oh, 100%. And that leads us into one of the DJs, Marcus, who happens to have a very nice pool at his house and just a nice house. I know I'm getting of a certain age when I watch a show like this with drugs and orgies and all of this wild stuff. And the thing that I took with me was (laughs) that stunning architecture. Such a beautiful home, y'all, for my HGTV hive. Just going to take a second here. So open, breezy, white, very reflective of the sun, beautiful pool built into the yard in such a gorgeous way, unobtrusive, really flowed with all of the architecture. 10 out of 10. It was a great space. And this is where Zoe goes to find Marcus because it turns out Marcus not only is a friend of Axel, but is from Manchester and used to hang out with them when Zoe was little. And he may know more about Axel's disappearance. Yes, he is going to be a key player into finding out more because he's the one that called Zoe 20 years ago and said, oh, your brother just went to India. He'll check in with you later. And all he did was check out. Do you think that Zoe can trust Marcus? Not 100%. I do think Marcus has some genuineness to him because of their past relationship and his friendship with Axel. But we know that Marcus is in business with the Caliphate family. So he's torn between survival and friends. 
Another place where he's torn is Marcus seems to want to live a regular life. He is played really well by Daniel Mays as an everyman, but then there's that conflict of him being this club promoter connected with the Caliphate family. And we see some of that where he's trying to have this moment where he reminisces with Zoe, cooking food in the backyard and chatting about the old days. And then the Caliphate family's body man, Boxer, shows up, played by Nuno Lopez, and the dude almost kills him in the pool to get information (laughs) out of him. that beautiful pool. He just wants to know what happened to Axel, like everyone else. But then at the end of the episode, not to spoil it, but Marcus doesn't die. And the three of them seem to, is bond the word? They walk out together on at least neutral terms. Boxer's not trying to kill anyone anymore. So I wonder what's next for that crew. Yeah. And we see Zoe calling up her therapist to be like, look, I made a breakthrough. So did this show break through to you? And do you want to watch more episodes? I think I would watch this one casually. I like a good murder mystery. And this is in such a beautiful part of the world that I think it'll just be visually appealing. But side note about the visuals for all of our listeners, this is a mature rated show. There is a lot of nudity. Vast majority is just topless women. Yes. Just be aware of that. But I think it's worth watching. I want to see if Zoe can solve this. If you're looking for a fun mystery show, if you're looking for a raunchier show, because there is lots of drug, sex, and rock and roll, or in this case, EDM, then I think White Lines will be a fun watch for you. Well, how about we head over to a Plane Into the Sky, and it's called Into the Night on Netflix. This is actually a Belgian production, but... Fortunately, you can listen to it in multiple languages and there's subtitles in a lot of different languages. And it is a apocalyptic sci-fi drama series based on the Polish sci-fi book, The Old Ocelot. So the premise, very simple, me too. We're at an airport in Brussels. A group of people, they all want to go to Moscow. But then there is a NATO officer. He's trying to get into the airport. He's trying to get to security. He's trying to get in. Everyone ends up on the same plane because you know what's happening around the world? What? People are passing out, going unconscious. They see the sun and it's all over. Something bad is going down. So the people are on the plane. The NATO officer has a gun and he's hijacking this and he's saying, fly to the sky, head west into the night. Away from the sun. We can't see sunrise. So we have a plane of these innocent people who thought they were all going to Moscow, some for some very important reasons like having surgery the next day, but now they're headed in the opposite direction. And it turns out that the sun is killing people. And now these group of survivors need to work together to keep flying into the night, or I guess it'll be all over. So how did you feel about the show? It is quite exciting. I like series like these that have a very straightforward premise and also limit the environment. The majority of this episode took place on a plane. And it was a fun opportunity to meet all of our survivors because we have a very odd mix of personalities and careers, although we conveniently have pilots and medical professionals. But, you know, we got to have someone who's useful. It's a flight of like 20 people and half of those people have very critical skills needed (laughs) for a survival group. But it's nice. Do you want to get into some of those passengers? How about we start with our lead, Sylvie? She is a former helicopter pilot. Her partner had recently passed away and was cremated, and she just wanted to go to Moscow. She's played by Pauline Etienne, and Sylvie is clearly recovering 
from her partner's death and is reluctant to help take over and fly this plane, even though she's in this dark place and showing that she's down, she has a lot of heart still. And you see that maybe former soldier side of her that wants to sacrifice or serve a larger goal. Because when she's in the airport, and the influencer character, Inez, played by Alba Gaia Belugi, is FaceTiming her friend and her friend starts to choke and get sick the way that you see people getting sick from the sun. But we don't know what it is yet. And Sylvie looks over as Inez is freaking out into the FaceTime. She says something to the effect of, oh, save it for someone who cares. But then turn around when she has Terenzio holding a gun to the back of her head, requesting that she fly this plane. She implies to the co-pilot that she'd be willing to die in order to protect the rest of the passengers. She steps up when she needs to. And then we have some other interesting passengers who right now just seem to be along for the ride. We have Zara, who is a mother, and she's on the plane with her sick son, Dominic. He's the one that I mentioned needs surgery the next morning. So that'll probably be a future plot line. And then we also have a passenger who is suspicious of the guy sitting next to him. What did you think of that whole scenario? I thought it was funny. The NATO officer bum rushes the plane rifle in hand. Everyone is freaking out. And this, I think he is Dutch, passenger takes the time to find a brown face on the plane and be like, I think he's a terrorist too. And so... (laughs) (laughs) He's nervous. He's sweating. Even though every single person in that room is now a victim of this man with the rifle, this Dutch man is like, nope, I think we have yet another threat on board. It is not just this guy in front of me with this huge gun. It was, of course, intentionally annoying and showing that his personality is not great, but it also made me laugh. And what did you think of Ayaz? He is a Turkish man who at one point, he tries to take control of the plane. He's a mysterious figure. I'm excited to learn more about him. We see him a little bit in interactions with Ines, the influencer, which was largely polite conversation. And then we see him try to take charge of a hijacking. So there's a lot to this guy. Yeah, he is not afraid. Which is indicative of something in his past or something that he's dealing with to step up in that way. And then we have Lara. She is a home care nurse. So the closest thing we have to a doctor on the plane, she's just asked to do a whole lot more than take care of that old man next to her. I'm getting into predictions territory now. I wonder if this very helpfully skilled group of people, being some of the only people on earth, it seems like, who are not sick yet, I wonder if people like Lara will be super needed. I predict she's going to be vital to whatever group forms. And I think she should take advantage of that power. 100%. So this is a light spoiler. They eventually land the plane and they're met with some soldiers and we don't know what happens next. But we do know that the world is truly on fire and whole continents have gone down in illness to the sun. So do you think that the soldiers picking them up are quote unquote good guys, as in they're going to whisk them away to safety? Or do you think that they're in trouble? My instincts say they're in trouble. First thought that popped into my head is maybe the soldiers want the plane because we do see an airport that they pass by and all these planes have crashed and they say these are people trying to escape. Who are unable to. I also think that our NATO officer, Terenzio Gallo, hasn't revealed everything he knows. He claims that NATO was the organization that informed him about 
this horrible solar event. But I think he still knows a bit more than what he's revealed because he's confident that there is a way to survive through this. I feel like Matthew, the pilot, he's going to be a key player in seeing how this group survives and how they interact with the soldiers because he and Sylvie seem to be the leaders of the group. I mean, if you're the one who can fly the plane, you've officially become the boss. That is true. They control whether or not these people can fly away or not. Mm -hmm. What do you see happening next? My curiosity is centered around the mom and her little boy who were going to Russia for the experimental surgery. I wonder if his illness is at all connected with the son killing people. Ooh, or maybe the son will actually heal him while it kills everyone else. That would be fun too. The other curiosity is about their future travel. They're essentially claiming that planes can move faster than the sun can reach them. If you're just constantly flying west to the darkness, just curious about the functionalities of that. And I'm excited for that to be explained in future episodes as well. We'll see if that trip is sustainable. This reminds me a lot of the movie Snowpiercer, where people had to ride on a train that went around the world in order to avoid an apocalypse. Snowpiercer, the show is coming, so maybe that'll give Into the Night a run for its money. We'll be reviewing that soon. Yes. So, me too. What would you rate Into the Night on Netflix? I would rate it would watch again seriously. I want to know what happens to this flight of people. I want to know if that little boy makes it to safety. I want to see Sylvie keep being this brooding but noble character. I just want more. This show is exciting to me. And also a lot of the shows that we reviewed today were pretty long. You know, we are short TV show hive. And this one felt like a much more efficient 40 minutes and it's a mini series. So you'll be able to watch it quickly. Just six episodes. So easy to get through. I like you enjoyed it. So I would recommend watching it again. Seriously, it's not going to take you too long to get through. This is a binge worthy sci fi series. Agreed. So if you want to find some other shows that we deem binge worthy, head to our website at thepilotpodcast.com. And if you ever want to hear us take a deep dive into a pilot episode of a TV show, consider supporting us by going to join.thepilotpodcast.com where you can subscribe to The Pilot Podcast Deep Dive. You can also follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at The Pilot Pod. You can send thoughts, feelings, show suggestions, your Ibiza stories, or just voice recordings of you saying Ibiza to askthepilotpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.